Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we listen to the final lesson in our At the Movie series. During this series, we've been looking at some of the spiritual and biblical truths that can be found in Hollywood blockbusters. Today, lead pastor David Fossil has us look at a straightforward dramatic movie, Hope Springs. Today, we'll be looking at certain issues about relationships, marriages, and families. Listen as Pastor Dave shows us the themes that exist in marriage, and by looking at them, we can find ways to build healthy relationships and marriages. Well, we are uh, wrapping up our series at the movies this week. We hope that you guys have kind of enjoyed the change of pace. Next week, we're starting a brand new series on the life of Elisha. Uh, but today, uh, the movie that we're going to look at and why we're doing this is we, like I said, just like to change pace and look at different different themes uh, and uh, spiritual ideas that we get from movies and then right, go right back to this book and see what it has to say about it. The movie for today is uh, actually has some pretty big actors in it. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones was in it. Meryl Streep was in it. Steve Carell was in it. So, for example, when I saw his name advertised, I thought, oh, it's got to be a comedy, right? And very quickly, I discovered uh, that the movie we're going to be talking about today called Hope Springs uh, was not a comedy, in fact, it was a very straightforward, serious, dramatic type movie. Now, uh, one thing that I kind of need to say as we get going and kind of make a disclaimer, I realize that every time I've done this series called At The Movies, and we've done it like three, four times now, in a sort of way, I'm endorsing the movie that we're using, right? So even just two weeks ago when we did Les Mis, I was sort of endorsing it. I mean, I think it's a, uh, one of the best books written uh, you know, from the 1600s and on, um, and the movie, I, I enjoyed it. It was good. Um, if you have a kid last week, Wreck It Ralph, I, I thought it was a pretty enjoyable movie. Um, this week, I want to make sure you understand, um, I did not enjoy the movie. I was not entertained by the movie and I would not recommend it. You go, then what the heck are we doing this morning? Look at that. Here's what happened to me. Um, I, you know how it is sometimes when you go home and you're kind of doing work on the computer, but it's not really, it's, it's not that it's mindless, but I, I was answering emails and such, and uh, the TV was on in the background, and Hope Springs came on. And what I found myself doing is stopping and watching different scenes. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I was um, captivated by how raw and how truthful it was when it came to portraying the problems and the pain that many married couples go through. I, I think, frankly, that's why I wasn't entertained by it at all, because I don't, I don't find people going through marriage issues and trouble entertaining. Um, but, but when I watched it, um, it, it spoke to certain issues that I want to speak to you about this morning, about relationships and about healthy families and, and marriages. So that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The, the reality is marriage is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be satisfying. It's supposed to be fulfilling. And, and many of us, however, find ourselves in certain stages where we don't have that. And uh, yeah, I've heard it said that marriage has three seasons. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, let's put it up on the screen. Uh, you've got this uh, romance, reality, and regret. You know, And each one has a theme. So the, the season of romance is everything is ideal. The season of reality is everything is an ordeal. And then the season of regret, you're looking for a new deal. You know, and 
Unfortunately, that's kind of how it is. And so what we're going to be talking about is if you find yourself in stage two or stage three, what do we do about it? So, uh, you know, I'm, I was able to manipulate the clips and take some of the bad words out. And, and you're going to, oh, it seems like a pretty fun movie. Like I said, to me, not so fun. But it did speak to some things I want to talk to you about this morning. So I want you to watch the first clip and then we'll talk. Someone wrote into the editor of the newspaper. Here's what they said. Dear Abby, do all marriages go stale after five years? Ours has. My husband and I don't talk much anymore. We used to talk about our kids, but now they're grown and out of the house. I have no major complaints with my husband, but the old excitement is gone. We watch a lot of television, we read books, we have friends, but when we're alone, it's pretty dull. Sometimes we even sleep in separate bedrooms. Is there any way to recapture the old magic? Signed, the song has ended. In the clip, you saw the wife saying, you know, it feels like we're two workers bunking in the same room. You know, it feels like the only thing holding us together is the house, right? Um, the first point I want to make is this. If you're jotting down notes, here's what you can write down. Let's put it up. Even good marriages have problems and sometimes become stale. Now, this is an important uh, point because I, I kind of want us to have a reality check. And I want to make sure that if you're here today and your marriage isn't everything you would hope it to be or you're, you're frustrated, or you're struggling, I want to make sure you know you're not alone and quite frankly, Going through marital issues is quite normal. It's like being on a roller coaster. Sometimes you have good years and sometimes not so much. It's part of a relationship, right? And and so I want to make sure that you understand that, that a lot of couples go through issues that they've got to work on. It's called life, right? Now, I don't want to just acknowledge the obvious. I I also want to try and help identify for you why do we go and have difficulties as a couple, Right. Why do sometimes marriage relationships go stale and they kind of get boring? Right. Uh, the, the, the first category are the obviously the big issues. You know what the big issues are. Right. Well, we're going to be looking at three or four verses in the book of Hosea. You don't have to open your Bibles. I'm going to put them all up on the screen. And in Hosea chapter three, very rarely this passage is ever taught in, in church because it's a very uncomfortable passage. It talks about one of these big issues. Here's what I'm talking about. Let's look. Okay, it's about a couple called Hosea and his wife, Gomer. The Lord said to me, speaking to the husband, Hosea, go show your life, your your love for your wife again, though she is loved by another man. Stop right there. We already know there's issues, right? Just that phrase. We already know we're in trouble. Go love your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. She had an affair. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. Now listen to this last phrase. And they love their sacred raisin cakes. I have no idea what that is. We have pastries from Panera. We do not have sacred raisin cakes. I don't know what that is. But I'm going to ask when I get to heaven someday. Um, But back to the main point of the verse, right? This is a problem. When you have infidelity in marriages, and, and it's, it's going to be like a torpedo to, to the hole of a ship. Uh, every one of us could probably come up with two or three big issues, right? Now, the one thing I do want to make sure you understand is that because of Jesus, there is hope. Even in these kind of circumstances, there is hope. And you can work through it, 
And you can come out of it bigger and better and stronger. You can. Sometimes it doesn't always happen. But we all understand that issues like we have on the screen here can, can fundamentally destroy a marriage. Big issues. What many of us don't realize is it's not just the big issues that affect a marriage. Sometimes it's just a whole bunch of small little issues like a wood, woodpecker going out that tree that damaged the integrity of a marriage. Let me give you some relationship killers, some examples. You've got busyness. You know how that goes, right? You, you have kids and then, you know, one of you is up half the night and the other one's half, half the day. And, and, and then you've got, they get to a certain age and you got homework and then you got, you got ballet classes and piano classes and sports and, and then his career and, and her career. And then you get stuff at church and then you got friends and then you're, so he's into football and she's into scrapbooking. And before you know it, you're just all busy. Right? And it's not that anybody's fault, right? You're just busy, and what you realize is you're filling your days and your weeks with everybody else except your spouse. Right? Um, one of the biggest mistakes families make when they get overly busy, right, is they, they start cutting out one another. And those times that brought us together. You've got selfishness. Um, we all have a selfish streak. Every single one of us. And you start applying it to marriage and you're in trouble. I've heard it said that a lot of us have what's called a buffet-style marriage. It's all about self-service. It's all about me. And if you're honest, sometimes we allow our selfish streak to impact our own relationship with our spouse. Irritability. We're just, you know, someone once asked a wife, do you wake up grouchy? She said, no, I let him sleep in in the morning. <laughs> Some of us are just grouchy. I'm serious. We are grouchy. We think it's a form of humor. And I'm telling you, the first time it's funny. The second time, not so much. Some of us are just irritable, right? This is a dangerous one. Slow drift. It's little by little by little. You just start drifting apart. Drifting apart. This next one, some of you are going to be surprised by. You stop pursuing and dating one another. Some of you are going, dating? I thought that's what I did before I gave her the ring. Every great marriage therapist and every great marriage book will say one of the most important things for a healthy marriage is to continue to pursue your spouse and to continue to go on dates with your spouse. And I'm going to tell you, you, you combine a couple of these bullet points together. I'm going to tell you one of the things that happened to, in my marriage a while back. And, and, and we, we caught it real quickly. We had bullet point number one, busyness. We, I don't know any people that is, aren't busy. And then we started to realize when we did have an open night, right, what would we do? We would do what's called family night. Now, I love my daughters. My son's off to college, so it's, you know, it's me and three women in the house, right? And what we do on our family night, we go miniature golfing, I, what, what do we do? We don't go to Applebee's, go to a movie, we do something family. But the danger, and, and here's the issue, is that this book says you want a healthy marriage? You, it, you don't have a child-focused marriage, have a spouse-focused marriage. And I'm all for family nights, but you best find a time when you're going out just with your spouse. And doing the exact same thing you did when you were dating, just go to a movie in a, in a, in a, in a restaurant just with her or him, right? Uh, constant criticism. 
I, I came across this quote this past week. Let me read it to you. Faults are like headlights of a car. Those of others seem more glaring than our own. That's true, isn't it? Who, who, no one knows your spouse probably better than you because you're with them and see them all the time. So you know their weaknesses. And you could just constantly pick away and constantly criticizing, never realizing you're not any Prince Charming or Cinderella yourself. Some of us are really good at knocking the other person down. We take each other for granted. We, 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 don't, we lack communication. I mean, really talk. Yeah, do you remember what it was like when you were dating? How many hours you would spend on the phone? Do you remember that? You'd be talking and talking. Okay, are we done? Okay, goodbye. Are you still there? You hang up. No, you hang up. You hang up. You know? <laughs> right? Now we barely text our spouse. Hey, uh, what time for dinner? You know? Lack of communic- Lack of effort. Lack of understanding. One of the things I love to do, if, you, if, you've, if you've hung out with me, I love to study the different personalities, the personalities between people and how they interact with one another. It's fascinating to me. You know, you're different than your spouse. They're a different lack. If you don't understand that, it's going to be a problem. Lack of gender differences. Men and women, generally speaking, are very, very different on certain things. We communicate differently. You know, so, so when, a, when a woman, when a wife looks into her closet and says, I have nothing to wear. What she really means is I have nothing new to wear. When a guy says I have nothing to wear, what we mean is I I don't have anything clean to wear. Completely different. Same words, right? When it comes to problems, completely different. Men, what do men want with problems? Solutions. Let's fix it, right? What do women generally want with, with, with problems? They want empathy. Have you ever had this conversation with your spouse, guys? You're taught, they explaining a problem, and then you're like, well, you could do this, or you could do this, or you could do, and then she goes, you don't really care. You're like, what do you mean I don't care? I just gave you all these solutions. I wish you listened to me. Have you ever had that conversation? By the way, listening is not hearing. Oh, completely different. What I heard you or what I'm listening to you, right? We're wired differently, you know? A guy, you know, a guy's in, in the bathroom, his wife steps out of the shower, we look over, we're all eyes. We can't remember if we're shaving or brushing our teeth. You know? Role reversal. The wife's in the, in, in the bathroom, the guy steps out of the shower, she's more likely to say, you're getting water on the mats, take it back in the shower, dry off. We're just completely different. Now what am I trying to explain to you? Please put some effort into this. Do you have the courage to acknowledge there's a couple bullet points up there that are referring to your marriage? Your marriage. My challenge for each couple here today is improve your marriage by one or two points. On a scale of one to ten, you rate your own marriage. Figure it out. And whatever you are, increase by one or two points. You can do that. so, So if you don't really have a great marriage, you're like at a two or three you could go to four or five and you could at least make it average. If you're a seven, you best not be sitting here going, I sure hope someone else is listening. No. Why don't you make your marriage an eight or a nine? I don't get it. I really don't. I don't understand how we're driving in the car. You're leaving here church. You hear a rumbling in your engine. We have no problem taking it to the mechanic tomorrow. Something's going on. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to take it in. Right? You get a pain in your side. You're not feeling good. We have no problem going to Kaiser and asking our doctor to, to prescribe us something or try and fix us. This past week, 
At our home, a fixture went out, and then we started hearing, we started smelling like burning something. Heck, we called an electrician. We have no problem doing that. But when it comes to something far more valuable than a fixture or the engine of our car, our marriage, somehow or another, pride gets a hold of us. And oh, no, we don't want to, we don't want to ask anybody what to do. Why not? Why not? Don't you value your marriage? Everybody has issues. Have the courage to try and figure out what to do. Now, I'm not going to tell you, tell you just what kills merit relationships. Let me, let me flip it around now and give you some relationship saviors. Some things that I have done. Okay, the first is books. It may surprise you to hear this from me. I do not like reading. At all. When I go on vacation, I do not take a book. People sitting by the pool reading a novel, I make fun of those people. Bombs, get them wet. Right? I don't like wet. I don't like reading. But, I, <laughs> sorry, that was not in my notes. I do like learning. I do. And I've realized if I want to learn, I got, I, I'm going to have to read. So that's why I, I primarily read not for pleasure, but for learning. And when it comes to marriage, there are so many good marriage books out there. Now, there are a lot of bad marriage books out there. So I would encourage you, if you're interested, you know, I'll give you a list of great marriage books. Some of the best two that I've recently come across are these right here. It's called For Women Only and For Men Only. We have them in the back there, or you can get them on Amazon. I know people bought them in between services. Why I like them is they're really short, right to the point. And, you know, there's one book just, you know, For Men Only. I don't have to read all about Sandy's stuff. I just read about what I'm supposed to do. I think this is helpful. Okay, now, if not that, then how about a pastor? You know, for, quit thinking I'm too busy to help you. What do you think I'm here for? Or the rest of our staff? Now, I may not be able to sit down with you for 15 sessions, or I could at least help get, point you in the right direction. Sit down with someone, if not a pastor, go, go to a counselor. You know, I have a list of counselors that I can refer you to. Um, there's two or three in this church that are very good. And you go, I don't want to sit down with someone from this church. Fine. There's other counselors. Let me put this next slide up there. One of the ones that I'm most impressed with recently is the Berkeley Christian Counseling Center. They're associated with the First Presbyterian in Berkeley. They have a staff of counselors. They're great from what I can tell. Sit down with someone who's an expert in this area. And they'll do some analysis and give you some ideas. I mean, why not? Right? If not a counselor, you know, I was going to put older couple, but I changed it to wiser couple now sometimes they are uh, older in the sense that they've been around the block a few more times than we have but you do know that one of the one of the things that we're told in this book is that when we're trying when we're going through issues one of the best things you can do is find someone that can give you some advice based upon where they've been in the past and there are four or five couples in this church that would be happy to sit down with someone uh, a couple and go we'll give you some we'll tell you where we did well and where we didn't do so well and i mean why not why not do that? Um, how about a small group? Every time we have small group Bible study signups, every time we have at least one group for marriages, every single time, sign up for one. Um, the next one, marriage retreat. The best marriage retreat conference in the country, in my opinion, is this right here. It's called Family Life Weekend to Remember. Sandy and I have gone to two of these uh, next summer. When I have a sabbatical, one of the things we're going to do is go back. You don't go to these conferences because your marriage is falling apart. You go to these conferences to make sure your marriage doesn't fall apart. 
It's like changing the oil in your car. It's not that your car is running poorly. You want to just make sure it keeps running well. And this is fun. And you know, there's one in Napa coming up in a couple months. There's one in, in Sacramento. There's one in Yosemite. Or you could travel further, you know. Um, and, and then the last bullet point. And the last bullet point I'm not putting up there because I'm supposed to. I'm a pastor. I'm telling you as a man and as a husband, God makes a difference in your marriage. He makes a difference. Don't, don't miss what the first phrase of Hosea chapter 3 says. Let me show you. Let's put it up there. The Lord said to me, are you praying for your spouse and for your marriage? And if not, why not? I mean, it could be as simple as 30 seconds every morning when you're taking a shower. It could be when you're commuting. I I don't care. Or it could be with your spouse praying. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty certain you want God on your side. And he's saying part of that is prayer. So let's let's do it. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Never give up. So here's my first point. We all got issues. So let's quit pretending we got perfect marriages. We all can improve by one or two points. So let's put some effort in. Let's put some effort in. The second clip, watch it, and then we'll talk. The second point, if you're jotting down notes, are husbands take the initiative, wives wisely persevere, and together get busy. I don't mean like, woo, get busy. I mean, get busy doing about what we just talked about, okay? Books or a retreat or a small group or something. Do something together. Now, you saw in that last clip, this word intimacy gets thrown around a lot. A lot of people, it's like, you know, it's not just physical intimacy. There's so much more to that, like relational intimacy and recreational intimacy and conversational intimacy, so on and so forth. Okay, Uh, but but I I do want to address both husbands and then and then wives specifically. Now, verse two and three of Hosea chapter three is pretty earth shattering because it adds to the story. And here's what we read. Hosea says, I bought her, referring to his wife, for 15 shekels of silver. You're like, what is going on here? Then I told her, my wife, you are to live with me many days. Here it comes. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. What is going on here? Let me explain to you the historical context. What we believe has happened is that Gomer, his wife, has become a temple prostitute to a foreign god to a pagan God. Now, we don't know if his wife has done this because of moral failure in her life or more likely financial desperation. She gets to a point where like, I, we don't have money for the rent. We don't have money to pay for the kids. I mean, to feed the kids. There's all I can do is go away, go work as a prostitute at the temple. We don't know why she becomes this. We do know very, very clearly what God asks Hosea to do. And what he basically does in that first phrase right there, he literally, to get his wife back, has to pay her pimp off. To me, this is staggering. Until I remember what Jesus did for me. Until I remember what these tables represent. Until I remember what Paul says in the book of Ephesians, that I as a husband 
am to do for my wife as Jesus does for his spouse, the church. I am to do anything and everything I can to enhance my marriage and make my wife and our relationship better. Guys, I don't want to be personal, but I I, I do want to be practical, and I'm going to pick on you for just a second. In 20 years as a pastor, and having talked to counselor after counselor after counselor, what I have observed is that most of the times, it's us guys, it's the husbands who are unwilling to take the steps and put in the effort to make our marriage better. It's us. She wants to, and we balk. Oh, we buy the books, but we never read them. Small group, I don't want to go to a small group. I don't want to air my dirty laundry with everybody else. Counselor, I don't think we need a counselor. Besides, I don't think we can afford it. A retreat, that's lame. And we come up with all these excuses why we won't or we can't. And um, you know what? It's not politically correct to say, but I believe this book when it says that we husbands are to be the leaders of our home. Now, that verse has been so misinterpreted. It doesn't mean we wear the pants in the family. It doesn't mean uh, she's not smart. It doesn't mean we always make all the decisions. It doesn't mean any of that. You know what it means? It means that. It means I take the initiative to do what I need to do to make my marriage and then my family as good as it can be. Yes, we're a team, but I'm to take the initiative. So guys, I, I, I know you love your wives and, and I know you want the best for your families. Take the initiative. Do something. Try something. I'm not asking you for a lot. I'm not asking you to take your marriage five points up. Two points. Start, you could do that. A couple points. Now, for the, for, for the ladies, for the, for the wives, I'm, I'm going to also be very direct with you. And because, you know, wisely persevere is pretty vague. Uh, the two verses from Proverbs are going to make it very clear what I mean. Let's, let me show you. A nagging wife is as annoying as a constant dripping on the rainy day. Guys, right now, don't move. Just look straight ahead. <laughs> because any movement you make, you will pay for later. <laughs> Proverbs 21.9, better to live alone in a tumble-down shack than share a mansion with a nagging spouse. You know, now... The reality is that it goes both ways. But, but in this case, speaking directly to the wives, um, this is not the time when we get in the car on the way home for you to go, it's about time you stepped up and did something around the house. Do something, you bum. <laughs> Don't do that. Right? By the way, do you know why spouses nag each other? You want to know the real reason? Because it works. We try the silent approach, that doesn't work. We try the thoughtful, share my heart, that doesn't work. We, we, we try the pastor set, that doesn't work. I'm going to try the nagging approach. Right? Plan whatever, D. I, I want to say something to you ladies. If you nag your husband, you're, you got a good chance, especially after this morning, you got a good chance of getting him to change his behavior. But you will lose his heart. And I'm pretty sure you don't want that. So what I want to encourage you to do is be wise. Be wise. 
Choose your words carefully. Share your heart. Lay out what you'd like. And then it's on him. It's not your job to change your husbands. It's God's job. And vice versa. Guys, it's not our job to change our wives. It's God's job. Okay? So, I, I'm tr- like I said, I'm not trying to be personal. I'm trying to be practical with you guys. Um, and, and remind you, we can turn this around. We can turn this around. Have you ever heard it said, the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence? Ever heard that say that? Sometimes it is. Sometimes someone else's marriage is greener, better. But I guarantee to you, if there's another couple that has a better marriage than you, I guarantee you their water bill is also higher. You know what I mean by that? They're putting more energy in. They're putting more effort in. They're putting more work in. That's my point. Put more energy in. Do something. Pick something. Because you could turn it around. The, the, the best kind of clips of the movie are, are right at the end. Uh, let's watch this next clip and we'll wrap things up. You want to know what's really weird about that clip? That exact thing happened at my home, except, except I was the one washing the dishes and Sandy came back and... <laughs> What you discover in verses 4 and 5 is why God tells us this rather horrific story about a couple whose marriages fall apart and is trying to be rebuilt. He's, we're told in verse 5 that he's using the example of this wife who's unfaithful to her husband. He's using it as an example of God's people who have been unfaithful to their God. That's the point. The point is about, it's about God. You and God. In verse 5, here's how he wraps it up. Afterward, he says, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord, their God. And to David's descendant, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in all of the Lord and all of his goodness. If you want a better marriage, you got to do it with God. With God's presence, with God's power, with God's wisdom. With God, everything always is better. It's always better. The, the best way that I heard it explained, if, if you're a husband and a wife and you feel like you're miles apart, is, is kind of like this. There you got the husband on the, on the left side of the screen and the wife and they're miles apart and they're, they're like, okay, we listened to the message. We're not exactly completely sure still what to do. And, and I, I saw it in a book I read, explained, but sometimes maybe, maybe try a different approach. Maybe instead of trying to be a better husband and trying to be a better wife, try a different approach. And they had this dry game. Let's put it up there. Instead of guys trying to be a better husband, how about trying to be a more godly man? Get closer to God. Ladies, instead of trying to figure out a way to become a, a better wife, become a more godly woman. Love God more and better. And what will happen is that as the closer you get to God, you won't even realize it. What's actually happening is you're also getting closer to your spouse. We, we covered it last year. The two most important verses in the Bible on marriage. Genesis chapter 2. When the Bible is first beginning to start unrolling its story. And God is inventing mankind. And he invents marriage. And these are the verses we looked at last year. When we had a whole series on these, these two verses. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. They will become one flesh. 
Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And we talked about four vows. These four vows right here. You know, from now on, father and mother are not the most important people in my life. I make the vow of priority. My spouse is the most important person in my life. And I mentioned it. One of the biggest mistakes couples make is they they begin to have a child-focused marriage, not a spouse-focused marriage. Everything is about the kid. And hey, I love my kids. But these verses says the priority is your spouse. He says, then you're united to your wife. Literally, the old, old English word is cleave. And it's the vow of permanence. Till death do us part means that. It's going to be up and down, good and bad. I'm going to stick with it. The vow of permanence, right? Become one flesh. Uh, the vow of partnership. That's so much more than just the physical uh, sexual intimacy that a husband and wife has. It's all the other things. It's the partnership of growing closer to one another. And then finally, they were both naked and felt no shame. The vow of purity. For you to really understand that verse and that phrase, you have to go to Genesis chapter 3. Because you see, nakedness in Genesis 2 and 3 means something completely different than, uh, to us than what it meant to them. In Genesis chapter 3, when they sinned, the first thing they did is cover their nakedness. And the nakedness in chapter 2 is referring to their relationship with God. And it's right back to that diagram. It's the vow of purity. I'm going to become everything God wants me to become. Because one of the effects is it makes my marriage better. One of the things you could do is go to Vimeo and listen to all those studies and messages. My challenge to you is this. Do something. Not because your marriage is bad, but because you want to make it better. I have one last clip that talks about just this, making vows. We think that vows are only something we do on our marriage day. It's something you continually do in your marriage. So watch this last clip, and then we'll pray. Let's pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed... What I'd like you to do just before we get and begin to pray is if uh, you are sitting next to your spouse without anyone else looking. I wonder if you could just reach over and hold their hand right now. Just go ahead and do that. Heavenly Father, I want to. um, First of all, thank you for my spouse, Sandy. Father, I'm would ask that you help us make our marriage a couple points better and we could lead by example. Father, I pray for all the couples here today. I pray that you would encourage them and remind them that marriage can be everything it was intended to be with your strength, your power, your wisdom. Father, we've heard and learned a lot of things. And Father, I pray that we would have the courage to take and apply something of what we've learned. Whether it's for those of us who are struggling in a marriage that doesn't seem to be going anywhere to to improve it a little bit. For those of us who have got good marriages and make them great marriages. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As you're holding your spouse's hand. Let that be your commitment to them. We're going to do something. I'm going to give you a little short homework assignment today for two minutes. I want you to ask the other, what do you think about this morning? What do you think we can do? Simple. Be kind. 
but let's make use of the 30 minutes that we've just spent this morning. Father, as we wrap up our study time, and this may be strange to say right now, but I want to pray for all our singles here this morning. I want to thank you for them. Father, first and foremost, remind them you don't have to be married to be complete in everything God wants us to be. That's the first thing. But Father, I I also pray some of them are young, looking forward to marriage. Some are divorced or elderly and widowed. Father, for those that want to get married, I pray that um, you would draw them to the right individual, that they would have the right kind of standards, that they would not sacrifice what you want for them because maybe at times they feel lonely or looking what society says they should have and what they should be. Father, I, I pray that you would bring a certain man into their lives, being a certain woman into their lives, and that you would give them the gift of marriage as they're seeking it. Father, more than the movies we've talked about these last three weeks, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how incredibly practical it is, even for something as valuable to us as our marriages. Father, make us a church that has strong marriages. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.